Earlier today at the nine o'clock service, something of exceptional rarity happened. So this must be a a special day. Uh, I've been in ministry for almost 20 years and I've preached hundreds of times. And I think this might be the only time that my sermon went well under the allotted time. And the service actually ended early. Uh, So we're gonna see if lightning will strike in the same place twice here at the 1045. Throughout this Advent series, we are looking at the way that God, or the ways, I should say, that God reveals himself to us and to the world. Uh, Last week, Pastor Trevor uh, spoke to us about the fact that God is for us. In two weeks, we will be hearing about the ways that God wants to reveal himself through us for the sake of a lost and hurting world. And in our text this morning, we learn from one of the greatest saints in the history of the church, the Virgin Mary, the ways in which God has revealed how he wants to be with us. Much to be learned this morning through this great saint. The first thing that I think we notice in this morning's text is that God is with us, and that means that he can use whoever he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants, and however he wants. God is with us, and that means he can use whoever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants, and however he wants. The fact of the matter is, uh, Mary was a nobody from nowhere. Now, that might be somewhat of an irreverent thing to say, because we think of the Virgin Mary, of course, as this great icon of Western culture and of art, and, uh, you know, as I said, one of the great uh, saints of the tradition, perhaps the most famous and influential woman who has ever lived, and a part of this sacred narrative that most of us grew up knowing and that many people know even if they're not churched, you know, they're familiar with at least the basic elements uh, of the Christmas story. But you know, sometimes familiarity uh, prohibits us from seeing the fullness of what is there and from really experiencing the text the way the earliest readers and hearers would have experienced the text. Most of us are aware that Jesus is called a Galilean and a Nazarene, and we don't think a whole lot of the fact that the text tells us that this angel went to this virgin in uh, Nazareth of Galilee. We sort of take that for granted. But if we put ourselves back in first century shoes, we will find that Nazareth uh, was a little tiny little town and Galilee was sort of this hillbilly region. I mean, nothing uh, of significance was supposed to come out of either Nazareth or Galilee. Nazareth was uh, just a few square miles, maybe about 500 uh, inhabitants, they say. This was not a booming town. This was not an up-and-coming town. It was not filled with well-to-do nouveau riche inhabitants, you know. Uh, it was not filled with people that were connected and going somewhere in the world, movers and shakers. Mary was a nobody from nowhere. It wouldn't have even occurred to us to use someone like that. She wouldn't have even made not only the short list, she wouldn't have been on any list if we were God, if we were thinking about who to use. We would have said, we need to act in Rome, you know, the center of political and military might, the center of the world, the most powerful city in the history of the world. We need to get, you know, someone that's related to Caesar himself or one of his enemies or somebody, you know, that somebody that's somebody, you see. Somebody who's connected, somebody who's networked. Well, Mary is none of those things. Or we need God, we need to act in Jerusalem, you know, the, the theological and spiritual breadbasket of, of the world at that time, right? Nazareth and Galilee and this unknown version, I mean, this, this doesn't make any sense, but God is with us. And that means he can use whoever he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants, and however he wants. Far be it from us to place limitations on God. Uh, He is with us, and so watch out. (laughs) You never know what he might do next. 
Mary is a nobody from nowhere, but the text tells us God's ways are not our ways. Mary is not chosen for any of the reasons that we would have chosen someone. Uh, The Bible tells us that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the things of the heart. Now, it's important, I think, for us to hear that this morning because many of us are not like Mary in this congregation. Many of us are affluent. Many of us are connected. Many of us are educated and credentialed and trained. Many of us are comfortable and established. We're with it. We're up and coming. We're movers and shakers, right? We can't relate to Mary. And we tend to assume, well, of course, God is with someone like me. He's lucky to have me on his team. You know, I'm an MVP. I'm rookie of the year, right? Of course, he's with people like us. But the word we need to hear from God this morning, if that's where you are this morning, is he's not just with people like you. He's also with people like Mary. He's not just with people that we might think he would want to be with. He's not just with people who have it all together. He's not just with people that the world emulates and idolizes and puts up on a pedestal. He's not just with people who are comfortable and in a good position in life, socioeconomically and otherwise. He's also with the downtrodden and the downcast, the last, the least, the lost, the marginalized, the people like Mary. Mary uh, is said to be a virgin, we all know that, and, but what we sometimes miss is she's not only uh, a virgin in the physical sense, the term also implies the fact that she's a very young girl, uh, probably 14 or 15 years old. So when we think of Mary, uh, we all have sort of a concept in our head maybe of the Virgin Mary and of other biblical heroes. Uh, when we think of her, we ought to think of a scared teenage girl who's shocked by this thing and trying to figure this out. And it says, you know, wondering what kind of a salutation this might be. I think that's a, a polite and holy way of saying what the Sam Hill is going on. Uh, <laughs> Mary, God is not only with people like us, God is also with people like Mary. And some of us in a crowd this size this morning, one of the great things about being a large church is that we do draw all kinds of folks. And so some of us do identify with Mary. Maybe we've made a wreck of our life. Maybe we're disconnected. We're marginalized. We feel forgotten. We feel hopeless. Maybe we've lost our jobs. We've lost our marriages. We've lost whatever. And we feel like we're on the outside looking in. And God is with people like you too. God is with people like you too. God is with the powerful and, the, and those who have it all together. And God is with those who don't have it all together. God is with and can reveal himself and use whoever he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants, and use them however, in whatever way, he conceives of using them. I think it's important for us to meditate on that this morning because all too frequently I find that somehow or another we've managed to read ourselves out of the story of God. We've managed to read ourselves out of the story of God. We read it as something that is good for other people, (laughs) Uh, something that applies to other people, something that God might call other people to do. Something that, you know, whatever category we have in our mind of people that are more available to God or more useful to God than we are, you know, this applies to them. But as for me, it's just words on a page. And I wonder this Advent season, as we think about the coming of the Christ child, the one who split time, the one who changed the world forever, is that us this morning? Have we read ourselves out of God's story or are we reading ourselves into God's story? Do we identify with the Virgin Mary in such a way in this concept of God being with us and revealing himself to us and that he's for us and wants to work through us for the sake of a lost and hurting world? Do we find ourselves identifying with that in such a way and at such a level that we begin to dream about what God can do in our lives? 
Or have we lost that passion? Have we lost that hope? Have we begun to just think, it's over for me. God's moved on. God has other people he's using. Or are we just sitting on the sidelines or are we willing to get in the game? Have we read ourselves out of the story of God? Or do we really believe that he is with us and he can use whoever he wants, whenever, wherever, and however he wants? The second thing I want you to notice about our text this morning is that God is with us and friends, that is the most important thing about us. Now Mary is probably 14, 15 years old. She's engaged to be married. She has no social status really yet in her culture, a nobody from nowhere, and she's just minding her own business. And all of a sudden this angel appears and says, hail favored one, the Lord is with you. Now Mary probably did not feel favored. <laughs> uh, Mary did not feel privileged. Mary did not feel like you know the world was her oyster. She was just kind of making it probably, just kind of going through life like the vast majority of people throughout the course of history, right? Just an ordinary gal. And this angel appears and says, favored one, hail, for the Lord is with you. This high and lofty sort of greeting. Because if God is with us, that's the most important thing about us. It's not our skin color. It's not our socioeconomic status. It's not our employment. It's not what we've done in the past or what we'll do in the future or who our family is. If God is with us, that's the most important thing about us. The text reminds me of Judges chapter six. You remember where the angel comes to Gideon who proves to be one of the great soldiers of the Old Testament. And Gideon, here again, we miss what the text is saying. He's hiding in a wine press. It makes it sound as if he's just kind of doing his own business, but he's actually hiding from the enemy. He's scared. And what does the angel say? Greetings, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. God speaks to things that are not as though they were. And if God is with us, that's the most thing. That's the most important thing about us. It reminds me of that great song we sang in Vacation Bible School this summer. Some of you helped with Vacation Bible School and our theme song, If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, that's what matters, friends. Third thing that I want you to notice about the text this morning. God is with us, but we don't get to determine what that means. <laughs> God is with us, but we don't get to determine what that means. We want to, don't we? <laughs> we want to, sure enough. Uh, we want to be able to say, God is with me, therefore my life will unfold according to plan. God is with me, therefore all those wonderful things that people said about me will come true. Uh, God is with me, therefore none of those terrible things that I have feared will come true. But that's not what the text says. It's not what the text says here. It's not what the text says anywhere in the Bible. It's what the text of our heart says, isn't it? We are indeed a, a deeply wicked and selfish and self-centered people. And at the core of our being, we have this natural gut instinct to think, if God is with us, surely everything will go well. If God is with us, surely I'll experience and feel a sense of blessing and favor and my life will unfold according to plan, the way I think it should be. You know, as I said earlier, I've been in ministry for 20 years and all this stuff, and I still find myself falling into that, don't you? <laughs> don't we all? You know, when things are going well, we feel like, yes, the Lord is with us. And when things aren't going well, we think, God, where are you? What, what have you done for me lately? Do you even care? And we begin to struggle. But the text indicates that God is with us, but we don't have the right to determine what that means. The angel does not say, hail, favored one. The Lord is with you, therefore everything will be great. God has a perfect plan for your life and everything from here will be smooth and easy and comfortable and you'll retire wealthy. And no, that's not what he says. Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. And that means he's gonna upset your life. He's gonna upset your little apple cart. <laughs> he's gonna turn you upside down and inside out. And that's what happens to Mary, isn't it? 
There's no indication in the text that this is something Mary wanted. There's no indication in the text that Mary had an inkling this would happen. We don't find Mary going, you know, I had a funny feeling that maybe one day I too would be uh, the center of Western art and this revered figure and that I would be the the mother of the Christ. I I saw it all. No, no, that's that's not the case at all. Uh, Mary does not have this as part of her grand scheme. But I think that teaches us that we can respond uh, without fear if God is with us. The angel says, uh, hail, favor one, the Lord is with you. And then he goes on to say, uh, do not fear, Mary. Isn't it interesting, have you ever noticed how many times in scripture we find an angel appearing to someone and immediately they caution the person not to fear, right? I mean, what does that tell us about angels? Probably, first of all, that they're maybe not what we tend to conceive of them as, right? But it also tells us something about the calling of God, doesn't it? That the calling of God, I mean, he doesn't say like, you know, Mary, fear is a sin or don't fear because that would be an illogical response. No, fear would be a perfectly logical response. I mean, here's this young girl, got her whole life in front of her, content just to lead a a normal life in a sleepy little village about to get married. She's not thinking about this. She's not, you know, this is not something she wants. This is upsetting her entire world. Of course she's fearful. But when we know that God is with us, we can respond and overcome our fears. And I think God is looking for people who want him and his will more than anything else. God is looking for people who just want him and his will more than anything else. Even if it means a, a plan and things happening in life that are uncomfortable and that do upset us and that do you know, upset our plan. You remember what the great hymn writer says? I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than riches or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. That's the heart that God is looking for. The heart that says, I want to be yours. And we see that here in a moment with how Mary responds. The fourth thing I think we can learn in this text is that if God is with us, we can respond in faith even if we don't have understanding. If God is with us, we can respond in faith even if we don't have understanding. Now, we might like understanding. <laughs> understanding is a good thing to have. Uh, if we're able to say, uh, yeah, this, you know, this makes sense. Uh, this is what I had in mind. This is, you know, I can make sense of this. I have a frame of reference to comprehend this. Well, more power to you. That's wonderful. But sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes we don't have uh, that sense of understanding and confidence. Sometimes the calling of God does not make sense. And such is the case with Mary. But if we know that God is in it, if we know that God is with us, we can respond in faith even if we do not have understanding. And one of the things that I learned from this text is that choosing faithfulness over fear leads to favor. Choosing faithfulness over fear leads to favor. Mary's gut reaction, as I suspect it would be for anybody, was fear. But she chooses faith. And what does the angel say? That she has received now favor from God. I want to call your attention also to the fact that uh, Mary uh, questions a little bit. She questions a little bit. Now, you might recall that Zechariah, when uh, he's told that he and Elizabeth are going to have a child, which we find reference to uh, here in just a moment from the angel, that story of Elizabeth being pregnant. Zechariah, when he, when he finds that he and Elizabeth are going to have a child, he responds with questions as well. But there's something displeasing about Zachariah's questions that calls him to be punished. And there's something about Mary's question and the, and the heart, the motivation behind that question that makes it okay. And I want to call your attention to that because I'm always amazed how many people will say, well, I know we're not supposed to question, but, you know, well, uh, I'm not so sure about that. 
I'm not so sure that we're not supposed to question. I think if questions are done with a spirit of authenticity, uh, with a spirit of humility, I think it can be a good thing because I think it demonstrates uh, that this is real people we're dealing with. I mean, this is not some script that Mary's reading off of, you know? Uh, this is not Mary, you know, later we do have this incredible, beautiful response that Mary gives us, right? But in the heat of the moment, I mean, Mary's responding like any normal person would. How can this be? Not just in the physical sense, because she's a virgin, but also in the sense of, you know, I'm just an ordinary person, a nobody from nowhere, and God wants to use me. I mean, that's, that's a perfectly honest and legitimate question. And I find that when God calls us to step out in faith, there's nothing wrong with that type of wrestling uh, and that type of, you know, being honest and open and humble enough to say, whoa, now wait a minute, I need to pray about this. And you see, now we gotta respond eventually, but I don't think uh, that scripture inherently rules out our natural desire to want to achieve some degree of clarity. But when the rubber meets the road, when push comes to shove, if we know that God is with us, we can respond with faith, even if we do not have the blessing of understanding because faithfulness over fear leads to favor. I also think that most of the time, if it's an authentic calling from God, most of the time, there will be an element of how can this be? <laughs> it may not be and probably will not be a physical element. Uh, element. In this case, it is because Mary's a virgin and unmarried and she's wondering, she's 14, 15 years old and how can I be pregnant, right? So there's that aspect of it. But most of the time, it's more of a sense of, you know, how can this be that, uh, that God would call me to do this? A person like me, doesn't God, I mean, is God paying attention? You know, doesn't God know who I am? Uh, Will Williman, who's one of the most influential figures in, in the history of our denomination, really, he always says, I, I knew that God must be the one who called me into ministry because it was way too strange for me to think of myself. <laughs> uh, only God would do something like that, you know. Uh, there's not always that aspect. But a lot of times there is. And I find that along the way in life's journey, there's always an element of that. Like for me, for example, in my own experience, when I was called into ministry, I did not question it or run from it because it, there was a, a sense of, a sense in which it did make sense. But you better bet your bottom dollar there's been many things along the way of my journey <laughs> where I have said, how can this be? You see? So it may not be at the first step. It may not be at the front end. It may not be in general, but certainly along the way, there are always aspects and elements uh, where we wonder and we question, how can this be? And I wanna to present to you this morning that I think that's a good thing because God values real, authentic faith. God does not force himself upon us. God is looking for a real, authentic, loving relationship where he calls and we respond. Uh, I know Pastor Faye is preaching on this same text this morning over in the auditorium. And one of the things that I know she's talking about is uh, the relationship between her own journey and Mary's. Because if you know anything about Faye's testimony, uh, she was in a corporate world and comfortable and had a wonderful job and was in her 50s, I think her early 50s, when God got a hold of her life and called her into ministry to leave the corporate world, go to an undergraduate degree for four years, go to seminary for three years, and then go through the ordination process. Now that's crazy. Don't tell Faye I said she was crazy. All right. She, <laughs> she's going to see it. We watch each other's sermons. But you know, that's crazy in a good way, isn't it? That's crazy in a faithful kind of way. That's crazy in a way that the world doesn't understand. And that's a good thing. You know, the world ought to look at us and not understand everything we do. If the world understands everything we do, that's a problem because we're just like them. There ought to be things that we're doing that are faithful and radical and sacrificial where the world goes, man, I just can't understand this guy. He's so different. He's so weird. Now, I'm not saying that God's going to call everybody into ministry, but I think Faye's uh, journey in that respect is a great example of that. 
You know, can you imagine going back to school in your 50s to start your undergraduate degree and then your seminary degree? I mean, who does that, right? Who does that? An incredible and very respectable sacrifice. But my point is, friends, oftentimes, God's plan is not our plan. Oftentimes, God's ways are not our ways. Oftentimes, the further we go in the journey, the more he calls us to contradict the things of this world and the things of our culture. But because we know he is with us and in it, we can respond with faith, even if we don't have the luxury of understanding. Fifth thing I want you to learn from Mary this morning is that one of the ways in which God is with us, one of the ways in which God reveals himself to us is through the lives of other people. One of the ways that God is with us, one of the ways in which God reveals himself to us is through the lives of other people. Mary is wondering about this. How can this be? I'm a virgin and so forth. And what does the angel say to her in verse 36? And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. In other words, the angel holds Elizabeth up as an object lesson, as a way in which God wants to speak into Mary's life, as a way in which God wants to reveal himself to Mary, a way in which God is with Mary in the moment of her questioning, in the moment of her struggle. Uh, you know, one of the hallmarks of immaturity is that you don't learn from your own mistakes, right? I'm very hard-headed, I've been through that, I <laughs> still, still am sometimes, right? Where you make a mistake and you're like, yeah, but next time I'm gonna get them, just watch. And then there is a next time and the same thing happens, you know, and it takes you a few times to learn, you know, maybe I, maybe I don't have this figured out, maybe I need to try something different, right? But as you grow in maturity, hopefully you learn from your own mistakes, as you grow into full maturity, you not only learn from your own mistakes and your own journey, but also you begin to observe the mistakes of others and the things that God has done in other people's life, and it begins to bolster your wisdom and your faith. One of the ways in which God is with us, one of the ways in which God reveals himself to us is in and through the lives of other people. And we see that so clearly in this morning's text where God is making himself known in the midst of Mary's crisis of faith, the midst of Mary's moment of decision in and through what he has done in the lives of Elizabeth. And so uh, that asks the question, I think that begs the question of us, who are the Elizabeths in your life that God is calling you to learn from? Who are the Elizabeths in your life that God is calling you to learn from. You know, Elizabeth and Mary are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Elizabeth is an older woman, and Zechariah, her husband, is older, uh, and they've been barren all these years. You know, back then, it was always the woman's fault. Sorry about that, ladies. But uh, back then, they didn't have scientific knowledge, so if they didn't have kids, they assumed it must be the woman's fault. You know, sorry. Uh, but we don't know, really. But they couldn't have kids. They were older. They'd been married for a long time. You know, they had given up on having kids. That ship has sailed. And yet, all of a sudden, they get pregnant. Mary's on the other end. She's a virgin. She's young. She's unmarried. But it's the same dynamic of God uh, giving this miraculous birth. And so I ask the question again, who are the Elizabeths in your life that God is wanting to speak to you through? Who are the people maybe that have made similar mistakes or been in similar circumstances that you could reflect on and go, you know, I think God may be trying to speak to me through that. I tell people as a pastor, I tell people all the time when they're going through crisis, you know, one of the silver linings in this cloud, and it's true in every crisis, doesn't matter what it is, one of the silver linings in every cloud is that God will redeem this for you to minister to somebody else. And you'll minister to them in such a way that only someone who has been through this could. Not, not a minister of the gospel, but only someone who has been through this can speak into their life in a real and powerful way.
that someone who hasn't experienced it cannot. But you have to allow him to do it. One of the things that I have learned is that God in his grace also allows us to learn these things and observe these things ex post facto, after the fact, right? Uh, like for example, my parents said things to me when I was growing up that I had no frame of reference to comprehend, but I tucked them away in the recesses of my mind and now I remember them and I learn from them. I might not have had ears to hear it at the time, but it doesn't mean it didn't have its impact in due season, you see? Now, in this case, Elizabeth is pregnant right now, right when Mary is being called upon to respond faithfully, right? And that's great if we can learn things in the moment, but God in his grace, if we're reflective and if we're observant, I find that God gives us the opportunity to reflect back on people. You know, mm, that must have been hard. I didn't realize it at the time, but that person must have been going through a hard thing, and I'm going through a hard thing now. And You see, God longs to be with us and reveal himself to us through the lives of other people. And I wonder who are the Elizabeths that God is calling you to learn from. And I also wonder, friends, who is God calling you to be an Elizabeth for? Who are you on the lookout that's struggling for, that's struggling, or that might need a, an extra help or some hand that you can look back on and say, you know, I can be an Elizabeth in this person's life because I've been where they are and God got me through it. Sixth point I want you to learn from Mary this morning is that because God is with us, all things are possible. Because God is with us, all things are possible. Again, verse 36, behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. I love that phrase, she that was called barren is now in her sixth month. What a great synopsis of the power of God to transform a life. What a great way of, uh, concrete way of demonstrating that God really is with us and God really does long to reveal himself to us. I mean, Elizabeth had this roadblock, you know, in her life. They thought she was barren, she couldn't conceive, her and Zechariah were old, and God does this miraculous work. God does this transformative work. And the angel says, nothing is impossible with God. May it be so in our lives. You know, how many times do we write somebody off, right? That person's a jerk, they were always a jerk. Their dad was a jerk, grandfather, I knew them all, they were all jerks. They're selfish. God can't use that person. God can't save that, but, all right? How many limitations do we put on God? I've got a family member who's lost, blah, 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 blah. And we just write them off as if all things aren't possible with God, as if we don't believe that God is with us. Or maybe we do that in our own life. Maybe our parents or somebody told us we were no good and we believed it and we've always believed it. And so we have these limitations, these hangups. Or maybe we've made a mistake that we continue to beat ourselves up for. God has forgiven us for it but we, we haven't forgiven ourselves and we continue to you know, beat ourselves up for it and we just think nothing can ever change. Because God is with us, all things are possible. She who was called barren is in her sixth month. In the family of God, we ought to look for, long for, and expect his transformative presence. It ought to be the case that we have testimonies in our midst where, you know, he that used to be a self-centered jerk has now become the most generous person I've ever known. She that made a train wreck of her life at an early age has now become one of the great pillars of the church. She that was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible with God because he is with us. Seventh and finally, we learn from Mary what absolute surrender and radical submission really look like. I'll never forget one of my mentors pointed this 
beautiful line out to me that this might be the, the most beautiful prayer in scripture, one of the most concise statements we get of what it means to really have a holy heart. Verse 37, Mary said, verse 38, excuse me. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Be it done to me according to your word. Friends, that's what a holy heart looks like. That's what a surrendered heart looks like. A life of absolute radical abandonment. God, I am your bond slave. I might not understand it. I might not like it. It might not be what I was expecting or counting on or planning on. I might not know anybody else who can relate to this. I might think this is crazy. I might think this is the opposite of what I should do. But because you're with me, Lord, because you're in this thing, be it done to me according to your word. That, my friends, is the point of absolute surrender and submission that we need to get to. Andrew Murray, one of the greatest writers on prayer that the church ever produced, a 19th century saint, wrote a great book called With Christ in the School of Prayer, one of the greatest texts ever written on prayer. And he says this, absolute surrender is the condition of being used by God. Absolute surrender is the condition of being used by God. And we learn that from Mary, that if God is with us, and he's for us, and he wants to work through us, and he's revealing himself to the world, friends, we can indeed say with confidence, behold, I'm your bond slave. Be it done to me according to your word. And we can get there. I believe that the Holy Spirit of God wants to take us to that point of surrender and submission, and I believe we can because God is with us. Amen.